0: If you're ready to finally start putting the pieces together and get a head start on your sober curious journey, you've got to get in my program, Awaken Sober Living. The secret sauce that really brings it all together is asking the right questions and then actually answering them, and then we go a little bit deeper. So if you're over the trap of trying to figure it out with moderation and stopping and starting all the time, this is the space for you to get a whole new perspective and make space for something new to come through. And that something new is more of you. There'll be a link right here in the show notes for you to go on over and get right in there. You can also just go to visit my website, marywagstaffcoach.com, and we will get going. I'll see you on the inside. I'll be there for you every step of the way. Do you ever feel like you're outgrowing alcohol, that you are longing for a deeper connection to life? If alcohol is keeping you playing small and feels like the one area you just can't figure out, you are in the right place. Hi, my name is Mary Wagstaff. I'm a holistic alcohol coach who ended a 20-year relationship to alcohol without labels, counting days, or ever making excuses. Now I help powerful women just like you eliminate their desire to drink on their own terms. In this podcast, we will explore the revolutionary approach of my proven five shifts process, that gets alcohol out of your way by breaking all of the rules and the profound experience that it is to rediscover who you are on the other side of alcohol. I am so thrilled to be your guide. Welcome to your journey of awakening. Welcome back to the show, my beautiful listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I just wanted to give a warm welcome to all of our new listeners here on the show. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome into our circle. Um, I really, you know, do think of it that way as a platform where, you know, there's like this intentional seeking out of this information versus just kind of sharing it randomly with with anyone, and of course, anyone can access this podcast, but um, it definitely feels like a different relationship and an and energy between you and I that I tune into because, um, you know, there is definitely a frequency match. I've talked about this a lot for people that are here and continue to be here. Um, you know, it's like there's more to the story that is resonating with you. And I just think like attracts like. And so welcome to the circle. Um, If you have been here for the last couple of weeks, you may remember me talking about Michael Singer, the author of The Untethered Soul, which I would definitely recommend to anyone. I wanted to start our episode off today reading an excerpt from the book, chapter seven, Transcending the Tendency to Close. So today what we're talking about is a concept that's been around for a while called name it to tame it. And so what does that mean? It means you name, say out loud, acknowledge, confront the story, accept whatever emotion you are feeling. Um, sometimes you might not know what emotion you're feeling, right? So maybe you just name the thought, right? Oftentimes, we interchange those those two those two things, um, but we know um, usually if you're taming something, right? If, if if something is not in control, quote unquote. Um, you're experiencing some sort of of heightened sensation, right? You're, You're aware at least of that. And usually when we feel out of control, it's because we are unfamiliar with the sensation of that emotion. And it usually compounds because we resist it. And so the word tame it, you know, is really what I would say allow to allow to understand it to to soften it to to lessen the resistance right it's not like we're gonna whip it into shape the emotion but this is just it's I wanted to talk about this term because it's you know it rhymes it's a it's an easy thing to remember and it's been around kind of I think in you know the mental health community for a long time especially maybe under um Talking about habitual use of substances. So, but this excerpt that um, just stood out to me for kind of an introduction to what's happening inside, why some things, external circumstances that could cause someone else an emotion, right, that they find resistance to just passes through you, why we actually have something, a resistance, a a heightened experience that we do need to tame because there are many things that I experienced that wouldn't bother you and many things that you experienced that wouldn't bother me, right? And so it's not, we know it's not the circumstance. We know that the circumstance is actually neutral and it is our thought about it that bumps up against something, you know, usually probably from our childhood, some way of conditioning, usually a way that we didn't feel safe, way we didn't feel safe. And he talks about this in just a really beautiful way where we move beyond, um we can just understand it better. Or the Untethered Soul Chapter 7, transcending the tendency to close. So going beyond our habitual tendency. During eons of evolution, from the simplest of living forms to the most complex, there has always been the day-to-day struggle to protect oneself. In our highly evolved, cooperative social structures, this survival instinct has gone through evolutionary changes. Many of us no longer lack food, water, clothing, or shelter, nor do we regularly face life-threatening physical danger. As a result, the protective energies have adapted toward defending the individual psychologically rather than physiologically. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment because, you know, we have access to more information and seeing the, the scary things in the world, right? The upsetting things in the world. However, we do still live In the most peaceful time in human history, we still do live in a time where more people have expendable money than ever before or expendable resources than ever before. It just is very overwhelming. And this is my opinion because of the access that we have to information worldwide events and the way that it's presented can be very overstimulating to the system, right? To the nervous system that it really, um, it, it, It imbalances the nervous system. And so I just want to really uh, read this again. As a result, the protective energies have adapted towards defending the individual psychologically rather than um, the physiologically, right? So the mind, we're defending the mind or the thoughts about a threat versus like actually the body. And, you know, if we don't know something exists, it doesn't mean we want to be blind and have like ignorance, but but it doesn't affect us in the same way, right? So, for example, I go to this. You know, I live in a national forest. Um, we had a bear in our backyard. If I didn't see the bear, I would <laughs> I wouldn't have been as scared of to go walking in the in the woods behind the house, even though I know like bears live here. Or I go to a, a park. Um, and they post the last time there was a bear sighting or the last time there was a cougar sighting. And like, I just wish they didn't do that because, you know, I know that we live in the wild and bears and cougars exist. I also know that it I would be lucky to stumble upon a bear in the wild. Like as soon as he, heard, the bears heard us in the house, you know, he was like down the like down the yard. And as soon as he heard us inside the house, he turned around and ran, right? Like they can hear like three miles away or something, or maybe that's what they can smell. So anyway, they could smell you three miles away. But knowing that right now, it's like in my subconscious, even though the threat hasn't changed, right? So it's like, what's different? So that's just one example. Okay. Continuing. We now experience the daily need to defend our self concept. Rather than our bodies, our major struggles end up being with our own inner fears, insecurities, and destructive behavior patterns, uh, i.e. alcohol, and not with outside forces our insecurities, our fears, and our destructive behavior patterns. Nonetheless, the same impulses that make a deer run away urge you to run away. Suppose somebody raises their voice at you or talks about an uncomfortable subject. These are not physically threatening circumstances, yet your heart starts pumping a little faster. That's exactly what happens to a deer whenever they hear a sudden sound. Their heart starts pumping faster and they either freeze or run away. In your case, however, it's not usually the kind of fear that causes you to physically run away. It's just a deep personal fear of demanding protection. Right? So like the bear ran away, his heart was probably pumping faster. Also, right? We have this funny book called Night Animals. It's a children's book and it's just like the night animals are all scared of each other. And then they see the humans and the humans are like, run. And then the night animals say, night animals, run. And it always just reminds me that the animals don't want to mess with me. Since it's not socially acceptable to run in the woods and hide like a deer, you hide inside, you withdraw, close down and pull back behind your protective shield. What you are actually doing is closing down your energy centers. Even if you don't know you have energy centers, you've been closing them since kindergarten. You know exactly how to close your heart and put up a psychological protective shield. You know exactly how to close down the centers to avoid being too receptive and sensitive to different energies coming in and causing fear. When you close down and protect yourself, you are pulling a shell around the part of you that is weak. This is the part that feels it needs protection, even though no physical attack is being placed. You are protecting your ego, your self-concept. Although a situation may present no physical danger, it may cause you to experience disturbance, fear, insecurity, and other emotional problems, so you feel the need to protect yourself. The problem is the part of you that gets disturbed is way out of balance. It's so sensitive that the slightest little thing causes it to overreact. You are living on a planet spinning in the middle of outer space and you're either worried about your blemishes, the scratch on your new car, or the fact that you burped in public. It's not healthy. If your physical body were that sensitive, you would say you were sick, but our society considers psychological sensitivities normal. That's because most of us don't worry about food, clothing, or shelter. We have the luxury of worrying about a spot on our pants or laughing too loud or saying something wrong. Because we've developed this hypersensitive psyche, we constantly use our energies to close around it and protect ourselves. But this process only hides the problem. It doesn't fix it. You're locking your illness inside yourself and it will only get worse. So I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. You start by watching life and noticing the constant flow of people and situations that hit your stuff every day. How often do you find yourself trying to protect and defend that weak part of you? You feel like the world wants to get right at it. Every place you go, there's someone or something trying to disturb you, trying to get your go. Why not let them have it? If you really don't want it, then don't protect it. So, that piece of it, it's like there is this this weak part of us, quote unquote, weak part, right? This part that gets. Disturbed, yet we try to protect it, but it's also the part we're unwilling to look at. So we have this conflict, this like this thought error and these conflicting beliefs. You know, it's like we don't want to look at it and just say, like, let's deal with this and get rid of it, right? But we're defending it at every turn. And now, of course, there is a scale of What bumps, what he says bumps up against your stuff, right? This is triggering. This is what you're taming. So, what we need to look at is when throughout the day you have things that just come and go, come and go, come and go, right? You see people driving, and why on other days, you know, something might disturb you based on many, many, many factors. But we don't need to understand all of that right now to just start to notice. The emotional self, and this is the process of name it to tame it. It Happens when we experience an emotion that creates something that feels out of our control is that we think that it's real, right? Like we think that there's a real circumstance that's causing us fear, when in fact, It is truly our thoughts about it. That the, that the fear or the emotion itself is simply a, an object that we are in relationship to. And if we take a step back from it, we can look at it in a new perspective. So when we name it to tame it, we are in that moment saying, to ourselves, we're pausing to acknowledge that this is actually happening. And why, why does this work? Well, it's because it gives us access to the five shifts process, at least the first of the three shifts, which is the first shift is confront the story. And as soon as we confront the story and we accept versus avoid, right? So what happens is when we add the alcohol, we kind of get the double trigger. And I did a series about triggers as trauma, um, or not triggers as trauma, but a three-part trauma series um, on the show. And... Really seeing the alcohol adds another layer of trauma. We become even more sensitive to our already sensitivities because now we have this thing that bumps up against us. We feel fear. We feel anxiety. We're upset. And then we have the sensitivity of like needing the alcohol too, right? That it can't just be that. And we, and we're with it that we now have added another layer. Um, so now we have the urge to drink. And then underneath that is whatever emotion we're trying to tame or alter or change, okay? So the first shift, acceptance versus avoidance. So we want to confront the story and just say, I'm experiencing anxiety right now, right? And then shift number two, the curious observer, So instead of just conforming and like acting like nothing has gone wrong and having all these thoughts in your head that something's wrong with you and you're the only person that ever has anxiety or depression or I live and struggle with depression, right? We label all of these things on ourselves and we tell ourselves all of these other stories that don't help us. We stop and say, Hey, we just become curious about it. It's like, oh, why am I having anxiety right now? Like what caused that? And then the third shift is the compassionate witness where we come in with compassion and say like, hey, it's okay that you're feeling this right now. Like you're in the middle of the woods, you know, you're not, you're not close to home, but you do have people around you that will help you. Right. So the, an example of this where it was more anxiety based on like not so much just something that bumped up against um, a thought that I had, but like just real physiological circumstances. So I'm going to give you two examples. I was hiking in the woods with with friends of mine, people that I actually like, they're kind of new friends, but lovely people, very kind, very nice, like tons of water supplies. Someone even had like um, a kind of like a GPS thing. Alert emergency walkie talkie type thing. And we're walking, and you know, I live pretty high altitude already. I have great endurance. Um, Like physically, I felt fine in that way, of you know, it wasn't even that big of an elevation. And all of a sudden, I got this kind of flood of anxiety that came over me after we had taken a pause to stop. And of course, in my internal head, I'm thinking, okay, how far are we? Do I need to turn back? Um, and I start having all of these, you know, the mind just takes over within moments of, oh my gosh, if I get all the way there, am I going to be stuck? Am I going to have to go back? It's just like insane. Right. And so I'm watching this and we had all stopped to take a break and there was, you know, eight or nine of us. And I said out loud, Hey, I'm having a little bit of anxiety. For some reason, I'm just starting to feel a little like lightness in my chest. It's feeling a little fluttery. I'm just kind of feeling shortness of breath, and I'm not really sure why. And as, as soon as I started having this conversation, there was this compassion towards myself, like that it was and I normalized it right? So when we get curious and we get compassion, we confront the story, we normalize it. And this is the biggest problem with alcohol, right? So there's, I just want you to take away, understand that we're talking about two things here. We're talking about a lot of the reasons why you're drinking and like, you don't even know at this point that you're having emotions sometimes because the habit is so strong that you just drink at five o'clock, right? Like I didn't even know what all of the emotions I was covering up with alcohol were because I was always just drinking. But you also have, you can also use this with simply the urge to drink as well. We can normalize it. We normalize being hungover and laughing about that. We normalize drinking, but normalizing that we're having anxiety because of it, right? So, so, but but you also might be having anxiety in real life and alcohol kind of exacerbates all of it. So every time we talk about alcohol in the show, it's like everything's twofold because we're we're kind of in this habitual imbalance, right? And so what he, what Michael Singer is talking about here is the tendency for us to close to to put our walls up around our heart. And he's talking about transcending it. Now he has some of his own practices in the book, which are amazing. But the the name it to tame it, you know. And and this is how we use the five shifts process: is we normalize it. And so what happens is is that is the process of transcending right the need the tendency to close we are we are now opening because we're normalizing it where if we're in our head even the body starts to contract around the heart right so the this other woman I was with said, "Yeah, I get anxiety, you know, we're high elevation, like it's totally normal. Like, are you okay?" And we just started talking about it and immediately, immediately it went away. I just started breathing deeper, I took a breath. I was externally focused, right? So that's the that's the 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 place of the observer, which Michael Singer obviously talks about, and this is like the whole practice of what we're doing here, and with the five shifts, is we're becoming the witness. We're not so entwined, entangled in that emotion, and it's just like taking over our whole body. We make some space by normalizing it, by naming it, we make some space and we come into the present moment. Because where did my mind go? It went to the past, it went to the future. It was not just experiencing like looking outward, right? Like you almost get tunnel vision. So you look outward. I was directly talking to this person. I was looking at her eyes. And this is the same thing that you can do if you happen to be by yourself. You can externally verbalize. You can put your hands under cold running water. You can open your eyes and really focus your eyes on your breath, on your body, on what you're seeing in front of you. A lot of times we kind of unintentionally get, we have an emotion and we start to, um, the shutting down, that closing off. We also close our, close our eyes, close our senses off from the present moment. It's almost like, you know, you kind of like black out for a moment or what you do to dissociate, you know, you're really closing off from the present moment. When you have a drink. So, what alcohol does is it stops the energy in the body from flowing. And we, everything is energy, right? We know this. We've studied on a quantum level everything is energy. Everything comes, is, is essentially light. And emotions are energy in motion. They're vibrations in the body that create sensation. But because you're unfamiliar with them, they're a problem right? They're a problem for you because they're just, it's, it's like the deer, right? It feels like a threat. Not only, right, does the, does that external thing that happened to you, right? Say like, um, you clean the whole house and no one ever said anything about it. And as soon as the whole family came home, they started trashing everything. And all you wanted was to be validated and that bumps up against you. So you make a problem of it, right? And but now even that feeling inside now also doesn't feel safe you don't your your thoughts are no one cares no one appreciates me but now the feeling inside of you also doesn't feel safe you don't you you aren't familiar with it so you close and then you have a drink and you close even further and all that energy goes uncovered the thought goes unexamined when in that moment if and we Matthew and I had this experience over the weekend we were we were joking about P- just validate me I just want to be validated like validate me baby and as soon as we said that we were laughing so hard because that's really all you want in those moments instead of like no one cares right it's just people you noticed because it was important to you right i mean in my household it like it, um, my my work around the house goes yes. noticed when i'm gone right not because i do it because it just looks normal right but I don't need I've come to a place I don't need anyone to validate it. My mother told me this a long time ago. She said if you're going to do it, don't bitch about it. If it's important to you, right? Or if you need help, ask. Don't retroactively be pissed off at someone because you decided to do something, right? And so these are all of the the neuroses that we have in our lives when like the truth is is like we woke up today, you have food, you're breathing, you can move your body. Everything else is a bonus. Right. And if you want to have a conversation with someone and ask for validation, like this happened, and I'll give you one more example. Um, though the example of the validation was Matthew had said, um, We went crabbing and he we didn't crutch any crabs. We did get some clams. He said, I'm going to, I think I'm going to take the kayaks out and put one crab trap on the side of the bridge and one crab trap on that side of the bridge. And I was like, I don't know. Um, and he's like, Just tell me it's a good idea. And we laughed about it. I was like, That's an amazing idea, honey. And so, It's like, why not just do that in relationships all the time? Just like tell everyone like they're amazing all the time, right? It's because it's what we want. And you can also ask for that. So yesterday I had like a really beautiful morning kind of by myself. I usually take one morning a week when no one's home to just like not get right to work, not get right on the computer, kind of do a different schedule And, but then I like, I'm, I'm planning a new training, which will be available to you soon. Um, and I was just doing a little self-coaching and I was in front of the computer, you know, I'm talking at myself on the camera here. I'm talking by myself. And sometimes it just gets a little, it can get a little overwhelming, like where I'm in that place where I'm not, in the present moment, right. Where I'm like in the computer screen and I'm in my thoughts. And there was obviously some thought in there of like, I'm not doing this right. And I discovered that later while I called Matthew kind of to vent, which I really try not to do, but in the moment. And then I came up with like another problem that like, because I was being, because I was unsatisfied with what I was doing and I didn't feel amazing about what I was doing. I, I, created another problem, which was, you know, you, he travels to work to and from work with an hour commute. And I'm like, you know, you, it, I would really like for you to start going earlier and coming home earlier, because by the time you come home, it's time to put Emmett to bed. And then we don't even have like an evening and like, what are we living for? Right? Like all of these thoughts. And so I started creating more stress instead of just seeing, that I was closing down around that emotion and really what I wanted from him and what I later asked was I didn't want him to solve any of the problems and he knows my tendencies and this isn't even if he never does this it's not his problem but I said really in those moments all I want is to be validated I just want someone to say girl it's going to be okay you are going to you know it's you're going to feel better this is a normal part of the process you're doing your best right but but we can't rely on that from the external. I can ask and, inst- I, and, you know, and he didn't do that right away. He was kind of trying to help me like solve the problems and, you know, and then it kind of got a bigger conversation. But I did ask, it didn't make it about him because I know, you know, from doing this work that... No one else is responsible to validate you but yourself. Your parents aren't, Your no one is, right? If you want validation, you either have to ask for it or you need to do it yourself. And the more we can accept that truth, right? The world isn't going to validate you. Like people want to make money. People are in power, right? The things out there in the world, big alcohol, the diet culture, like all the things. And now I'm not saying on a social level, we shouldn't see some changes uh for you know, representation. I do believe that. But as far as like capitalism, like people if people can keep making money and people are buying this stuff, it's gonna keep happening. So you gotta validate yourself. I don't need to color my hair, right? My I'm I'm accepting and loving my my natural, you know, aging process, like whatever it is. Um so what I did to tame it was I, you know, I did kind of verbalize out that out loud to Matthew and I left. I went to the park where they'd post about the bears and I took a walk and I really breathed into the emotion and I just knew it needed to come up and out. And it was the first time in a really long time where I was like, felt a real urge for something outside of myself to change, right? And in that moment, and you know, um, I haven't had a drink of alcohol in almost four years. So it's been a long time for me. But in that moment, and, and I don't desire alcohol, I don't have the thoughts about it, but I was like, this is when people want to drink. Because I was like, I was having so much resistance to this emotion, but I went for a walk, I cried, I did a little v- verbalizing, I vocalized it, I just like felt it in my body, and it went away, and I found the thought, I found the thought, I'm doing it wrong, right? Or I, I, I should be better at this or something, some you know, there were several thoughts. And so I, I was able to open myself to transcend the tendency to close. And I was able to uncover what I was making the circumstance mean about me, whatever was external that bumped up against me. So what we do is we use the five shifts process to cultivate the witness consciousness so we can open, right? Because if we keep shoving it down, it does turn into dis-ease. It's like if we had a, a gaping wound on our arm and we ignored it like eventually we would have a big festering, ooey gooey, you know, infection, right? But we don't see that same thing with the internal world. And this is the process of human evolution. This is the process of embodied awakening. And this is what we're missing out on when we always turn to alcohol to solve our problems or turn to alcohol to have a better time to make us feel better, right? We don't realize we can transcend the emotion and make space so that the next time that happens, the time in between is shorter, right? Now, a year ago, that same instance that might have lasted the entire day or into the next day, but I do this work every single day, right? And not like, and just because it's more useful, I'm not like, oh my god, I gotta find out what's wrong. But when emotions arise, which we're having an emotion all day, every day, right? It's like You know, where my grandparents used to say where there's going to be weather, like when there was going to be, you know, a storm or something. And I'm like, there's weather all the time, right? So you could think of your internal uh, world as, you know, the weather, right? But you're not just having like, it's not just blue skies all week, right? Like you're having the full gamut of all of the things every day, (laughs) you know and especially as women and this is something else I teach in the program is the practice of everyday ritual and understanding your own personal cycles and rhythms because we do have, we do live in a cyclical nature that you can count on for sure and that's very powerful to get to know that and and normalize it and not hide it and not shame it and not blame it right so instead of blaming it we want to tame it we want to understand it we want to really validate it And this is the the beauty and the magic of the five shifts. And so, you know, there's all sorts of other things that we can do out in the world that can be positive away from alcohol. But if they don't specifically, if they don't normalize the experience that you're having and you can't look into start planning a possibility where I want alcohol to be Insignificant in my life, you will never reduce your desire to drink. You cannot, you can abstain and try to not drink forever and try to continuously generate inspiration from the external, right? Which we can generate inspiration from the external. But unless you, until you do it inside of yourself, it will not land. And it will expedite your results when you do this work. And I'm talking 30 days, right? I'm talking you've given alcohol 10, 20, 30, 40 years of your life. Give yourself 30 days to understand what it means to really be a fully embodied human, right? Like this isn't counting the days. This is not drinking or not drinking. This isn't black and white. This is what the hell have I been missing out on, right? And and with no shame, because like, they don't teach us about this stuff in you know public school. Okay. So the result of that is you make space. You transcend the tendency to close. You open. And that thing that bumps up against you stops bumping up against you or you close halfway, right? So using meeting your emotions as they show up. And and the same, even with the urges of alcohol, we're talking about both things here. It's a, it's a double layer. What I want you to know though, and this is why I talk about desire and attachment is that your desire, and we're talking about kind of the physical cravings of like, it's five o'clock and my tongue is starting, I'm starting to salivate and the a drink, you know, sounds really good right now. That goes away f- pretty quickly. So we have two layers of something that we're transcending. We have the, you know, the kind of um, chemical attachment to the alcohol itself. But then what, and that's the, the desire to drink. That's what I, how I define the desire to drink. And then we have the attachment, which is all of the beliefs, right? And then the layers of what, of the beliefs that you can't do it on your own, right? That you can't handle it, which I know isn't true. And I know you know isn't true. Of course you can handle it. You're a human and, and our emotions are just energy. They're just sensation, right? You wouldn't bump your knee and run away into the woods and say, I can't handle it. No, you would figure it out. You would seek support. You would trust your body to heal, okay? This is no different. So I'm going to end with just another excerpt from the next chapter, because I think it really ties it all together. It's called, the chapter eight is called, let go now or fall, right? It's like, we're on a one-way road here. It's not going to just magically get better. I just want you to know that. The natural ups and downs of life can either generate personal growth or create personal fears. Which of these dominates is completely dependent upon how we view change. Change can be viewed as either exciting or frightening, but regardless of how we view it, we must all face the fact that change is the very nature of life. If you have a lot of fear, you won't like change. You'll try to create a world around you that is predictable, controllable, and definable. You'll try to create a world that doesn't stimulate your fears. Fear doesn't want to feel itself. It's actually afraid of itself. So you utilize the mind as an attempt to manipulate life for the purpose of not feeling. People don't understand that fear is a thing. It's just another object in the universe that you are capable of experiencing. You can do one of two things with fear. You can recognize that you have it and work to release it, or you can keep it and try to hide from it because people don't deal with fear objectively. They don't understand it. They keep end up keeping their fear and trying to prevent things from happening that would stimulate it. So this is so important, right? This idea of You'll create, you'll try to create a world around you that is predictable, controllable, and definable if you don't accept the fact that change is part of life. And by utilizing alcohol, that is what we're doing. We are trying to recreate the past, right? And we don't give ourselves an opportunity to have an experience of the future. And what I say and what I've been saying lately is that fear is the threshold to more life on the other side. Fear is just the unknown. And what you're walking through as a threshold, if you think about it as that it's just more life on the other side, then what is there to fear? more experiences, more of you. And it's just because you just don't know. But you can get to know yourself as a human, as the human experience of the sensations in your body very, very quickly. So I want you to notice what bumps up against you. I want you to practice the concept of naming it and taming it by utilizing the five shifts and see what unfolds for you. And really the way to get to know and really apply and commit to the five shifts is through the process of private coaching. So if you're ready to do that and you're ready to take the next step, I really would love to invite you to see, you know, how does this resonate with you? And we can really pinpoint in your life where you're resisting this change and why, what is the thought? That's, that's really keeping you stuck. So you can schedule a complimentary alignment session. The link is in the show notes and welcome, welcome. I hope you all have an amazing, amazing week. Take care. Hey, if you are finally ready to get alcohol out of your way for good and discover what lies ahead, I want to invite you into the Stop Drinking and Start Living program where you will learn to do what alcohol does for you on your own, but way better. The best part is you don't have to do any of it alone. Just click the link in the show notes or visit my website, marywagstaffcoach.com to schedule a call with me where together we will plan the next phase of your life on purpose. I'll talk to you soon.